Welcome to another episode of Data Privacy Unlocked. My name is David Stouts. With me today is California Assemblymember Buffy Wicks. Assemblymember Wicks is the primary sponsor of the 2022 California Age Appropriate Design Code Act, a first in the nation law focused on online child safety issues. The act is set to go into effect on July 1st, 2024, but it is already causing a lot of attention, as you might already know. Assemblymember Wicks, thank you for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me. So maybe I can kind of start from the beginning. That's always a good place to, to begin. Um, how did you get interested in running the AADC? Well, you know, I'd done some work in the space prior. I did a bill <clears throat> previous to this, the Kids Act, that was looking at more kind of direct regulation around algorithms um, as it pertained to, you know, you stick your kid on YouTube and uh, watching like, uh, you know, uh, train Thomas the Train videos and you come back 40 minutes later and they're watching train wrecks or something like that, right? And how these algorithms kind of move you into different directions. Um, that bill did not end up uh, making it out of the process, but we had really interesting conversations in the privacy committee. We have a privacy committee here in California, <clears throat> and um, it's obviously bipartisan, as all of our committees are, but really it's comprised of parents. Uh, you know, and my my joint co-author on this bill, Jordan Cunningham, has a dad of four, and I have two girls. His kids are a little bit older than mine, and so they're kind of in the throes of being teenagers in the era of social media. My kids are six and two, and so they're um, I'm looking down the kind of my future, seeing that come towards them. And really, we just kind of came together as parents around this notion that we just need stronger regulatory environment for our kids, you know, and my kids they're not going to be Luddites. They're digital natives. You know, my daughter is six years old and she's like, when do I get to get a phone? And I'm like, a long time from now is when you're going to get a phone. Um, but they're, they obviously see us with phones and they're, you know, they're, they're fluent on it. Um, and I just want to create a better environment for them, you know, and for all of our kids. And, you know, I don't know if you saw yesterday, the CDC came out with some pretty alarming research around um, kids' mental health. 60% of young girls or have experienced sadness and hopelessness over the past year, 60%, you know, suicidal ideation is up, suicidal attempts are up. I mean, all these things right now, I don't know that we can completely contribute all that to social media, right? I know that that's an often like a, a conversation that happens, but certainly it does have an impact. Um, and, you know, we need to, to wrap our heads around this a little bit more. So really, I just came to this issue set more as a parent than anything else. Um, as did many of my colleagues who wanted to work on this bill. And in California, you know, Jordan Cunningham is the joint author. And then I also had a woman named Cotty Petrie Norris, as I remember Norris. And so I represent a very progressive district. Jordan's a Republican and Cotty is sort of a moderate Democrat. And so those are kind of the three parties in the California state legislature. Um, and all three of us really came to it just trying to solve a problem. Um, in an era of real, very divisive politics, we just wanted to solve a problem. Um, and so that was uh, that's what kind of birthed um, age-appropriate design. Obviously, we stole it from the UK because um, we like to think that we created everything here in California, but we also try to steal other people's good ideas too. Hey, let me ask you about the where you ended on that one. I mean, you said a lot that I'd like to unpack, but... Um... The UK, for, for listeners out there, some may be familiar, some may not, the, the UK has UK age appropriate design code. It's the same uh, name of the bill. That goes into effect first. And then how does it happen that you guys become, I mean, did you do your own research? Yeah. Is there organizations come to you with that? I mean, what's the, what's the process that happens? Yeah, so prior to being an elected official um, in 20... 
sort of 15 and 16, I was working with an organization called Common Sense Media, um, and we were really working on some of these issues. Um, so I had familiarity with it. I, as I mentioned, I didn't pri prior policy work in it. And I think it sort of developed a little bit of a reputation of someone who was willing to kind of, you know, tackle some tougher issues as it pertained to tech, specifically around a kid's lens. And uh, some of the folks that worked at Common Sense Media ended up working with an organization called Five Rights. Bibon Kidron, the Baroness, um, is the one who started that organization. And she was really the chief architect of the bill that became law in the UK. And so through various, you know, ways we connected and um, she flew out here to California and we started talking about it and kind of plotting and scheming on how we, th we thought if we could... If they could pass this in the UK and we could pass it here in California, um, chances are other states may follow suit and also maybe our federal government. And even if no other policies fo followed suit, other other you know legislation, certainly if we create kind of a floor of behavior here for tech companies in California and one in the UK, that a lot of the companies may follow suit anyway because they don't want you know it's 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 easier for them if they just have a standard they have to reach in California and the UK that would work as opposed to having a standard in California that's different than a standard in Nevada, you know? Um, so we thought, you know, if we were able to kind of have a, a, you know, a marquee law in the EU and a marquee law, although UK is not in the EU anymore, but in, in, in Europe um, and a marquee law here in California, we could actually potentially create some global change on the issue. You, you mentioned right, right before we, we, we started that you're aware that other states are, in fact, you know, looking at AADC bills, it sounds like that was very intentional on your part. Yeah. And, you know, this is not new in California, right? We created industry standards around emission, car emissions, you know, other things that then I think follow suit in other places. Um, and I think it's also just interesting because we are like in a way home of the tech industry. You know, a lot of obviously Silicon Valley is here. A lot of my constituents work in the tech industry. I represent um, the East Bay, Oakland, Berkeley, and Richmond. You know, so we have a lot of the tech industry in my district. Um, and so we've had a lot of these conversations around privacy regulation, tech regulation, antitrust work, et cetera, in the California legislature for years. Um, you know, we've passed landmark legislation four years ago, I think it was. We did ballot measure work um, two years ago to create a regulatory agency on privacy. We have a privacy committee. I don't think a lot of other state legislatures have a privacy committee that's focused on this. Um, so we, we have, I think, a history here in California of doing this type of stuff. And then we also have um, like a really good bipartisan group of people who care about it um, and and really just want to kind of put party ideology aside and try to think through how we can actually solve the problem. Picking up on that last theme, uh, one of the things that really stands out when you read about the AEDC is it, it passed without a single no vote at any point, I think in committee or in the assembly or the Senate. Um, I think that speaks volumes uh, to how this issue resonates across party lines. I mean, that was my experience, right? And we had opposition from the tech industry and opposition from um, trade association groups. And we we talked a lot with the opposition. Um, but we also spent a lot of time, I as a legislator and my colleagues who were who were joint authors on the bill, talking to our, co our colleagues about it. Um, and I think, again, coming in just kind of as parents who are trying to get some stuff done to protect our kids, um, I think was the sort of basis of this. We also had a young woman named Emmy who is... 15 or 16 at the time testifying in the committees about her experience as a teenager, navigating social media, navigating kind of just this new world order. I think those of us that, you know, I didn't have social media when I was in high school or college, really, you know, I, I got social media maybe when I was in my mid twenties. And so I was older 
Um, a lot of our legislators are 50, 60, 70, you know, they're old. It's an old, so they don't, I think, understand or appreciate in the same way how kids are grappling with this. Um, so bringing her voice to the table and really centering the conversation around her experience was also really important for us so that so that lawmakers understood what are our kids navigating right now. And again, when you look at the data around their experience of life going through with this information onslaught coming at them on the front end and then on the back end, all the information sort of being tracked by them. You know, our number one job as lawmakers is to keep our community safe and specifically our kids. Uh, and so, yeah, it got a lot of support across the board because I think everyone recognized we need more regulation in this space. We know we do. And, you know, if you're, you know, a 45 year old person, you want to spend six hours on TikTok until three o'clock in the morning, by all means, go for it. Like you're an adult, you've made that decision. But when you're 14 years old and you have a hard time regulating decision making process, we should think about some parameters around maybe not sending push notifications at, you know, past 9 p.m. or whatever it is that are just smart things that help parents also navigate the space that we're in. You know, not to get, get personal to me, but, um, I've got three young kids, 10, 8, and 6. Mine, mine are all boys. So you and I live in alternate universes. You yeah. with, with two girls and mine with all boys. Uh, but I, I know, like, for Christmas, we got uh, the boys, um, you know, gaming console. And it's that sort of repetitive, they keep on playing, they keep on playing. And we we took one away from my oldest. And it was like, it was like taking heroin away from. I know. Uh, yeah. It's it's kind of, it's kind of shocking when you when you when you approach this. And to your point, I mean, we're we're of a certain age where um, we didn't grow up with this. And I I just yeah. I just you know it's hard enough to grow up at that age, right? As as opposed to having all that social media influence. You know, sorry, I, I just got on my soapbox for a minute there. Uh, but you had mentioned before, uh, you know, the federal, right? And I, I ask this every time I interview a state lawmaker, right? And I say. You know, do you think this is something that the federal government should do? And I strongly suspect I know what your answer is, but I like to like to at least hear your point of view on on you know what the federal government should be doing. Well, I would love to see policy change at the federal level, you know, and I worked for President Obama for six years. I lived in D.C. for on and off for 15 years. I've had a lot of I have a lot of connectivity with D.C. and, you know, worked on the Hill. Um, and so, you know, I got to work on the Affordable Care Act and all kinds of other things that are great when our federal government actually has the ability to make change. So I would love to see federal lawmakers work on this. Obviously, the president would as well. He called it for essentially this type of stuff in the State of the Union recently, um, which was great to hear coming from him. Um, so I would love to see action. And I do think, you know, I mean, you look at the politics of this country right now and how bifurcated the conversations are and how um, toxic they can be sometimes and how difficult it is to get anything done, although there have been certainly um some exciting things that have happened in, you know, the bipartisan guns bill last year and what the president's done on, he's done past so many great things in terms of helping us get out of, you know, COVID and the economic hold that we're in. But having said that, it's difficult to pass anything in Washington, D.C. We all know that. But I think this issue is a place where we can find commonality. And I, I think that because I know it because we did it in California. You know, we had real bipartisan support on it. And so I think that that can translate in D.C. as well. It's interesting because uh, no, no reason for you to know this, but, but last year, Connecticut passed a privacy bill and uh, it went to the House uh, uh, floor and there was an amendment and proposed and it was around children's privacy. And the interesting thing was it was a Republican who was pushing that amendment saying this bill doesn't go far enough. 
on children's privacy to the point they established a work group and then you appeared on that work group. But it, it really is one of those issues. It's one of those aha moments because you realize that this issue really does cross party lines because everyone has kids and everyone wants to That's protect right. their kids. Everyone wants to protect their children. And, you know, I think it's a, you know, from my perspective, I think about it again as a parent where, you know, I want them to be fluent, you know, and, and literate online. I want them to be able to access and utilize the newest tools and all those other things, right? I want them to be living in a modern world with the rest of us, um, while at the same time, I want them to be safe and I want safeguards and I want them, you know, you, you read so many stories and see so many situations and the pressures that are on them and, and not to digress, but I don't know if you saw the New York Times did a two-year study, right, really trying to understand why the increase of suicidal ideation and attempts and self-harm and all of these things. And they think it's because, you know, we're having puberty at a younger age and having social media and a bunch of information coming at us at the same time. That's what happened is happening with kids and they can't handle it. Right. And so it's not the the direct cause of all of these problems, but it's a piece of the conversation. And so if I, as a regular, as a legislator can regulate a better environment for them to help mitigate some of those challenges, I'm going to do everything I can to do that. As are the Republicans, I think, you know? Yeah, I, I, I think it, like I said, I think it does. I, I mean, you see that across the country now, and I'm not sure how much you tracked it, but Republican states are uh, deeply red states are proposing social media regulation bills that probably would be something that that, that feels very familiar to you um, and, and, and some of these same themes. Let me ask, taking it from the general to the specific, then um, you came in the work group uh, this past summer in the Connecticut that was talking about children's privacy, among other things. Um, and you said uh, there, I don't suspect you remember everything you said, but I, I listened to it over the weekend, so I, I can uh, relate to you. One of the things that you said was the goal of the bill was to create uh, high, pri high privacy settings by default. Um, can you talk a little bit about what you had in mind? Maybe you mentioned a few already, um, by what what the what you're hoping to encourage companies to do in that regard? Yeah, and and some of this we're we're seeing how it's unfolded in the UK, um, and so there's some really kind of I think tangible examples, right? You know, I think restrictions around geolocation settings is important. Um, turning off, making making a, the default setting to have autoplay turned off, right? Um, and again, people can go in, adults can go in and change the default setting should they so choose. Some parents want to have the 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 um, you know, autoplay on if they're on a long car trip and they want their kid to watch, you know, Daniel Tiger for however many hours. I mean, I've been there. I know what it's like to travel with kids, right? But make the default setting um, not to to encourage that kind of kind of addictive behavior. But, you know, another example is um, not allowing for adults that are not in your network to be able to direct message children under the age of 18. Um, I don't know why you why a, a strange adult should be direct messaging someone who's under the age of 18. Um, so those are some of the things. And then some of the other stuff, you know, we that has happened in the UK is, you know, safe search is the default engine in Google now for those under the age of 18. Right. Um, uh, the push notifications. One of the challenges that we know exists is, um, you know, kids are having their phone in their bedroom. And it's next to their bed. And if they're getting push notifications until 10, 11, 12, 1 o'clock in the morning, then that's what they're doing is they're up on their phone until 10, 11, 12, 1 o'clock in the morning. 
Um, and and obviously you can say, well, the, it's the parent's job to take the phone out of the room. I get all that in, rea- in, in, in principle, but in reality, I've also been a parent and understand the challenges of trying to navigate all of these things, right? So let's turn off the push notifications after a certain time. Kids need their sleep. Teenagers need their sleep in particular, you know? So a lot of this is sort of really common sense stuff that's really focused on the design of the product, not the content. And that's really important because of the Section 230 we wanted to be really mindful of. And I know there's this, I'm sure you're going to ask about it, the net choice lawsuit, right? But we feel really strongly that this bill is really about the the product design and not the content that kids are receiving. Um, so we think that we're in really strong legal standing in, in terms of that lawsuit. But it's about it's about making the products, products that kids access, whether it be apps or websites, et cetera, they're by design and by default created with kids in mind. And right now they're not. And, you know, I spent a lot of time talking to tech companies throughout the process of this bill. Um, I sat down and talked to Meta and it was like three moms at Meta who were talking to me about this sort of stuff, right? Um, They want their kids to be safe too, you know? Um, And so I think it's a question of, is kids safety like priority number 45 that kind of doesn't get discussed very often in the C-suite meetings? Or is it items number one, two, and three, right? Are we making it? And and what the goal of the bill is to put it at the top of the priority list so that we're forcing the companies to be more mindful about um, the products that they're creating in terms of kids accessing them. Let me ask you, there's a number of things to ask about the uh, the response. One thing that kind of stuck out to me at the beginning was um, the age uh, threshold of of under 18. COPPA, the, the federal bill, Children's Online Privacy Protection Act is under 13. Um, I know having been part of the process before, there's there's a big fight over like what that age should be. Should it be under 16? Should it be, you know, under 17? How did you guys land on under 18? I because that's the age of by which you become an adult when you're 18. And when you're under 18, you're not an adult, right? And there's a reason for that, you know. And I think, you know, we were pushed to the, you know, 13 and you know, but 13, 14 year olds, like they need protections too. Are we saying that they're ready to be adults? We're not, right? So um, we felt strongly that 18 was the right standard, especially for a bill like this, that it's um, the right type of regulation that still allow for kids to be online and experience all these things and navigate the world, but we just want them to do it safely. Um, so, um, you know, that was one thing the tech industry wanted to bring the the age down. But, you know, again, when we had Emmy speak, she's she was, I think, 16 at the time when she was talking about her experiences and she was begging for regulation. And you hear this more now from teens. There's there's um, there's different, you know, emerging movements of teenagers who are really trying to actually even get rid of their phones or take social media off of their phones because um, they understand what they're experiencing, you know. And if you have teenagers who are begging for more regulation in this space, like let's honor them and let's put them as drivers in this process. And that's why we really try to include people like Emmy in the in the conversation. One of the things you mentioned as well in your previous answer was this concept of kind of like taking it in. And, and I think probably what you're alluding to is the AEDC has a data protection impact assessment or, or a data process a protection assessment requirement, which is, you know, I always kind of colloquially refer to this as like, don't create a stalker app, right? Like mm-hmm. you should actually think through what you're doing when you're designing the product. Uh, but you can probably more articulately uh, explain what you guys were, were getting after with that provision. Yeah, I mean, that is really important because um, it sort of gets companies to think about how children under the age of 18 are going to be impacted by their product, right, or their features or the things that they are proposing. So we want them to be thinking with intentionality as they're creating their product. I mean, listen, like 
some of these product designers are the, you know, these are the smartest people um, in the room and they're genius at a lot of the work that they do. But we really want them to be thinking about how does it impact kids and having a systematic way companies consider new technologies with kids at the forefront of that assessment is critical to proactively protecting kids from the harm that we have been seeing. You know, I mean, what if Facebook did that when they started creating Facebook? You know, um, maybe Frances Haugen wouldn't have been the whistleblower that she is now, right? Because the that that thoughtfulness would have been on the front end. Um, so having that kind of internal process for testing new online services and products and features, um, we think is is really, really important because it also brings them into the fold of self-regulation, right? Of them thinking through, okay, how am I as a company going to be a good actor in this space when we know we have these challenges? And I think that's also a different way of thinking about the regulation. It's not, this isn't a bill where we're being punitive and we're trying to shut down companies. We want them to be good actors in this space. And again, as I mentioned, I talked to a lot of tech companies through this process, I think a lot of them do want to be good actors, you know, it's just that there's a rub between doing the right thing, but then also navigating that with getting the eyeballs on their website for the advertising dollars for the business model, you know, and so I think this forces their hand around the notion of like, how do we actually do the right thing here for kids in mind? And that's what this regulation is about, and specifically um, this piece of it. Yeah, let me ask you, I mean, you said uh, you guys want to stay away from the bill being punitive. I think one of the things that kind of sticks out when you get to the end of the bill is the law, I should say, is there's a right to cure. And yep. that right to cure, it doesn't sunset. It and, and I think the point of that, as I understand it, was, hey, we want to entice people to comply, um, give them an opportunity to comply. We don't want to you know, shut down tech. We, we want to uh, you know, incentivize them. Yeah. I mean, the goal of this provision is compliance. You know, we want companies to do the right thing and to adhere to the law because that's how we actually protect kids online. And that is the goal. Right. Um, and as I mentioned, like I many of my voters work in the tech industry, <laughs> you know, and like it's part of our economic resources out here. The goal is not to kill the tech industry. Right. Um, but the goal is to really get these companies to to comply, to adhere to the law. As I mentioned, it's not punitive. Now, if they continue to fail, right, um, uh, you know, there are penalties and the attorney general has the ability to to administer those and to go after them. But that's not the goal of the bill. The goal of the bill is to get them, the companies to comply and to keep our kids uh, safe online. Let me ask you about uh, some of the um, uh Throwing your issues in the bill, and, and I think maybe some of it we worked out in the work group uh, this year. Uh, but there's a, there's a, a few places that I, I think companies are wrestling with. One is the likely to be accessed standard. Mm -hmm. um, you know, and, and the, one of the criticisms that, that's been made against it is, well, hey, every every uh, uh, company out there uh, could be likely to be accessed by someone under 18, any any online website. But I, I sense that wasn't the intent of yeah. the bill was to wrap everybody up. And what, what's the point of that standard, I suppose? Yeah, it's not. I mean, um, you know, this sort of idea that like likely to be accessed sort of sweeps up all companies. You know, I don't agree with that interpretation. You know, the definition of business in this bill is the same meaning as our California Consumer um, Privacy CCPA Act. Um, so it's similar definitions, um, you know, and to be subject to the bill, the businesses, there's a sort of list of requirements um, that they would have to meet or thresholds they would have to meet, you know, gross revenue over 25 million, um, buy, sell or share personal information of 50,000 or more customers. Um, and then I think the third one is um, receive 50% or more of its annual revenue from selling consumer data. So, you know, 
who comes into that? Facebook does, you know, Google does, right? Companies fall into that. Who doesn't? Like your local Chinese restaurant's website. Like they're not, you know, it, 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 there's a threshold here in terms of um, who actually is in, incorporated and, and falls into this bill. And, it, you know, and then again, we look at what's happening in the UK, you know, the age appropriate design code in the UK was adopted there and not all companies have been impacted. So they have a similar threshold. And I looked to them because the other, the other thing that we heard a lot of in the bill, which I suspect you're probably going to ask is about the age estimation piece. Um, My next question. In fact. Sure. Yeah. Why don't you ask that? <laughs> Yeah. Well, you, you've, you've, you're doing my job now. Uh, <laughs> so, so, yeah, I, I mean, it was my next question was this, this, this concept is, just to set it up for the listener, is you need to do an age assurance, age verification, depending upon terminology there, it gets complicated. Um, and, you know, if you can't assure the age of the individual, you, go, you default to the highest privacy settings, right? So there's this sort of like gatekeeping threshold issue um, that's made a lot of uh, companies uh, uncomfortable, I think maybe is an easy way of saying it. Um, how, how do you respond to that? I mean, it's obviously something you thought a lot about. Yeah, I mean, first of all, many of these companies know exactly how old we are, right? They have a whole engineering team devoted to this question, right? They're Facebook is pretty sure they know how old we are by our searches, same with Google, et cetera. So the companies have a very strong understanding of that. And we wanted to make sure that um, the the need for age estimation sort of merited the risk that that was that was being put forth by the company. So, for instance, um, Tinder, <laughs> you know, they should have pretty strong age verification process set forth. Right. It's a dating app you know, essentially <clears throat> to be generous. Uh, and, uh, you know, you don't want 14 year olds on that site, right? Like that is bad. <laughs> I think we can all agree to that right now. The Sacramento bees website is a little different, you know what I mean? And so it's figuring out depending on what the company has to offer and the risk associated with it for kids, what that process will look like. But that's, this is also why the working group is so important that we, we put forth in the bill, um, the notion of the working group, um, which will be comprised of a number of different people um, delegated somewhat by the legislature, by the governor, by our regular privacy regulatory agency um, here in California to think through and provide recommendations around some of these tougher questions so that we're being thoughtful and mindful. And again, to go back to the last question, we look at what is happening in the UK, you know, and there was a lot of fear mongering around this age estimation piece uh, at the end of the sort of life cycle of the bill, where, where all of a sudden there was a couple of key people saying, it's going to shut down the internet, you know, like, what are we doing? What are they doing in California? They're being crazy. But you look at the UK and guess what? The internet is not shut down. <laughs> um, it still works. Um, no one's requiring, you know, at every website, you have to put forth your driver's license. Um, you know, again, we're, they're doing thoughtful ways of age estimation just to make sure that as people are entering their sites, as young people are entering their sites, they're being mindful of that and they're putting forth the right kind of privacy regulations. And so we, we will do lessons learned from there and, and, and follow their lead on what's working, but also the working group is a really important piece of this. Yeah, help tease out the working group because I, I mean, this is a new bill, and and, and frankly, in the privacy community, everybody's been so wrapped up with CCPA compliance. That I think this is yeah. probably um, something that you know, once we finish up with that, we're going to turn to this and say, oh my goodness, right? We've got a, we've got a lot to work through, right? Yes. Uh, just like we did with CCPA. Um, the work group, as I understand it, the idea is it's it's going to be you know, made up. You said already a bunch of people who are nominated by various uh, legislative officials. 
and they provide a report to the legislature uh, by the end of, I think, this year, if memory serves. Uh, what's unclear to me is, is then what will happen after that? Will, will lawmakers sit down and try to resolve some of these issues, or is that considered to be guidance? Um, I, I suppose, like, how's it going to work? Yeah, so the the working group that was um, created in the bill will be tasked with regularly engaging relevant stakeholders, um, including the legislature um, and others, the governors and others, you know, in the children's privacy space and making recommendations to the legislature every two years that help us think through how technology is changing and how it's impacting children. Um, you know, we recognize that technology moves faster than the legislative process. Um, we are not known for our speed. Um, so the working group's role will be to kind of identify gaps and evaluate how children can be further prioritized um, in the design and development and, and implementation of new online products and services and features and other kind of tasks ne necessary to ensure that the that the law is effective, right? And so it's really to kind of provide that kind of feedback that we really need, you know, um, no offense to myself or my colleagues, but many of us are not tech experts. Um, and so we need the, 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 that type of guidance. Um, and really, hopefully, that type of guidance will also serve as a model for companies as they're thinking through their assessments as companies of what they should be mindful of and how they should be thinking about this. You know, and the AG has the ability and I think will ask for companies to provide those assessments. Um, you know, and, and I can only speak to our current AG, um, Attorney General Rob Bonta. Um, he's been a leader in this space. Um, and so I expect he will be kind of a full participant in really trying to um, be active in ensuring that companies are compliant. Um, and again, not in a punitive way, but in a way that just ensures that they adhere to the law. Um, so with the working group and the assessments and the attorney general's role and the legislature taking input from the working group, we really tried to make this kind of a holistic approach around thinking through what can be pretty complex and ever-evolving dynamics, right? Um, and as you mentioned, I know in California, we're still figuring out sort of implementation of laws prior, but I think this space is kind of, uh, it, it is what's on the horizon as the next thing that we need to focus on. So conceptually, then the work group will push out guidance for companies to 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 adhere to, to be able to ensure they're in, in compliance. Then. Is that the idea? Okay. Yeah. Uh, so... Um, you mentioned before the net the net choice lawsuits. So shortly after uh, the law passed, a few months after the law passed, uh, net choice uh, brought a lawsuit against the AG's office, if memory serves, uh, on the basis that the law is unconstitutional. Uh, sounds like you disagree, <laughs> based on yeah. your yeah, I mean, I'm obviously aware of the lawsuit and, and um, disagree with the assertion that the age-appropriate design bill here or now law is unconstitutional. I mean, we had our legislative council draft the bill. It went through an exhaustive legislative process. It went through our judiciary committee, um, you know, who are a team of lawyers who look at exactly these types of questions. Um, the bill does not regulate content. And we're, you know, we were very intentional about staying away from provisions that we thought would violate Section 230. So I'm confident the bill is going to, you know, um, hold up against the lawsuit. And I'm not surprised by the lawsuit, right? It's it's the it's it's a, a tech industry trade association group who doesn't want to be regulated. Uh, last question I'm going to ask you then is, 
you know, what, what, what are you working on today? What's next? And what's, what's the oh, next thing of interest? We, David, we are plotting on scheming on some very exciting things in this space. Is that all you're going to give me? Huh? You're, <laughs> we're plotting and scheming. <laughs> that have yet to be introduced, but will be introduced soon. Okay. And I'm happy to come back and chat with you about those. <laughs> okay. Well, that's, that's, that's burying the lead in some respects. It's uh, <laughs> working on, on some new things. We will, we will be anxiously waiting. Uh, so many of us out here are, uh, you know, are, are strangely, our lives are completely dependent upon what lawmakers do and what they come up with. So <laughs> I'm trying to navigate all these wonderful things. Um, so I, I just, you know, I'll end uh, by, uh, you know, thanking you and also just give me one last chance to, um, uh, if there's any parting thoughts you want to leave everybody with. No, I mean, I just think, you know, this is a space that I think, you know, warrants more intentionality. I, I like that this is a space that does not get caught up in party ideology, that this is a space where we can actually put forth kind of common sense measures that help our kids. I think that's something everyone can rally around. I think you've, that's what you've seen here in California and hopefully what you see in other state legislatures. And, you know, I personally welcome Democrats and Republicans trying to work together to solve these problems. And I say that is like, probably one of the most progressive members of the state legislature represent Berkeley, a very progressive district. Um, but know that if we're going to solve our problems, we really got to work together. And I think that's what this represents. Well, Senator Member Wicks, uh, thank you so much for coming on the program today. We will now we, we will be anxious to see what comes next from you and we'll all be paying close attention. Great. Well, thanks for having me.